Hello everybody, welcome to the Venture Property Podcast. This month is all about brand building and one of the guests who is on today, I'm really going to struggle to say her name, is Laura Malockney. I've got that wrote down in front of me and literally broke it down into Malockney. And she is going to be covering an incredible topic which is very very prevalent at the minute and every single person who is building a brand or has a brand is going to know about that and that is about the GDPR rules so I would just like to introduce Laura and how are you doing today? I'm doing great thanks thanks very much for having me here. Thank you I'm not going to um, do too much about this topic because I know it's yours I will just say to the people who don't know who you are we I love I love when I do these calls and we speak to people before um, and I've actually just found out how competitive you are and that you're also <laughs> very, very good at fantasy football. Um, oh. I know, it's, that's out there now. Maybe we should do a property yeah. fantasy football next year. Um, I, I would be up for that. That could yeah. be fun. Well, yeah, because you are very, very competitive, as I've just learned. But I've also found <laughs> out that you are also very much like myself. You are a bit of a geek. Um, but yeah, anyway, we digress. I'm going to let you cover the topic. And if I feel like there is a question I can ask, I will just jump in. So over to you. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, hi, everybody. Hope you're all well uh, listening to this um, conversation about GDPR. Um, just give you a little intro to myself and um, so as Ryan very well pronounced my surname I'm Laura Malachny um, I'm currently a property sourcer and um, I'm a director of Riverlight Development um, my background is a bit odd I've kind of come around the houses into the property space my background is in healthcare uh, management so essentially I have to run healthcare services in the UK and in Ireland and um, in urgent and primary care settings so in those roles I was always um, the one with the responsibility for data protection policies and process implementation and making sure that the teams all adhered to these to these uh, policies so this is something that's quite close to, to, to my heart and something that I've always been very passionate about is making sure that our data is safe and certainly in, as the world that we're in now as we move forward into um, a more open and, and you know we're using technology now in ways that we never even imagined our valuable data it needs to be secure even more so I'm a bit of a bit of a mission to make sure that people understand their responsibilities on this topic um, so I just want to kind of start off a little bit with what is data um, so, sorry let me start off a little bit simpler is what is GDP or that's probably the best place to start so what it stands for is the general data protection regulations so these are new EU-wide uh, the Europeans new framework for data protection laws and it replaces the previous data protection directives um, that we're currently uh, working within. So even though the UK is obviously steamrolling ahead with uh, Brexit, the EU, the Information Commissioner's Office, so the ICO, have said that they will still be adopting the GDPR regulations when they come in uh, in 2018. So even though we're moving away from Brexit, these rules are something that will still have to stay with us. So they come into force on May the 25th on 2018, so five, five six months from now. And the main thing about what's new is that there's new rights for people to access the information that companies hold about them. There's obligations on us as data controllers and data processors for better management of these data. And then there's new punitive kind of fees and things like that for, for us that were found to be uh, negligent in our duties. So kind of starting really from the start, and I think this is where people kind of start getting a bit confused as to what is data? So what is what does the GDPR actually look at thinking? You know, what does it cover? And essentially, it covers data. So think about personal data. So personal data which relates to a living person. So it can be who can be identified. So personal data is all about data that can be that can identify somebody. So an example of personal data would be someone's name and address, their email address, their personal email address, the last four digits of their credit card number, things like that. So very clear. I think everybody will agree that that's personal data. Then not things that are not personal data are things like an address but no names, a generic email address, so an info at email address, things like that. So you can very clearly see the difference between personal data and non-personal data being data that you can be identified by. Um, there's another kind of element there that the GDPR looks at, which is sensitive personal data. So that's a little bit about you know capturing our racial or ethnic origins and um, capturing religious beliefs and tagging them to a piece of information that could be identifying somebody. So 
you know, Laura is X. Um, that's always how, that's always the kind of information that the GDPR regulations are looking at. So I hope that's kind of what's clear in relation to what data we're protecting. So if you kind of think about that in the property space, that would affect things like KYC processes. So know your customer processes. That would be in contracts that you have with your tenants or landlords or people that you're buying and exchanging properties with. That would come into, into consideration possibly with your contractors or any of your contractors processing information. So do you have a VA? Do you have um, secretaries? Do you have other people who are processing information on your behalf? And then it also covers things about your employees. So your employees are also processing those, those data on your behalf. So these regulations kind of affect really the heart of what we do in our in, in our property sphere and with obviously a lot of the anti-money laundering regulations our KYCs are the very first thing that we need to do with our new clients so protecting that information is something that we just have to do so if you are a business that processes any of that personal data that I've just mentioned or any sensitive personal data well then you are obliged to be registered with the uh, information commissioner's office and um, so the ICO and it's the website for them is ico.org.uk and any data, so currently the Data Protection Act of 98 requires every data controller um, who's processing any of this personal information to register with them unless they're exempt. So companies that will be exempt to be certain charitable statuses, uh, things like that that don't process personal information. Um, so really that means that the majority of us should actually be registered on that list. So for anybody who isn't, you can simply just go straight on there at £35 for an annual membership in 2019 sorry in 2018 and that will change it'll be slightly more expensive and the ICO you will be required to register to be compliant with the GDP or regulation so that is the very first thing you should be thinking about if you haven't already registered your company and you process those pieces of information that I just mentioned um, so I mentioned there a little bit about contractors and employees so kind of who's involved in caring about data so Currently, how we think about data is we have a data controller and we have a data processor. So that kind of makes sense, right? So a data controller is actually processes personal data. Um, sorry, data processor is actually processing the data. That could be a third party company. So you might have a company who outsources part of that work to, to somebody else. Um, where the data controller is the person who decides the purpose for which any personal data is to be processed and the way it's to be processed. So if you're a business owner and you have a KYC process on the front end and you've decided that every customer who talks to us or however you run your business, you're the one defining what information that you require, you're the one who's making sure that your staff process it in a certain way, you're the controller. And up until now, that's only where people had to think about the Data Protection Act. And with the GDPR, now the data processor is going to have specific responsibilities. And why that's important is that that's really important for anybody who outsources any work that touches on this um, personal or sensitive data that I just mentioned. So this mm -hmm. can be, you know, your, your external VAs, this can be it's any other piece outsourcing. If you're, on my business, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to have to think about it. So this third party person is now going to have different new, you know, specific responsibilities. Um, that the controller used to have. So they're now going to be responsible for that information. And, and, you know, if that person was not of, you know, I don't know what exactly the correct, per, you know, the correct terminology should be, should be, but if that person is actually using that information illegally, they actually could be the ones who would also be held responsible and, could, you know, potentially go to jail. So this is something that you have to, this, this is where the, the change is going to happen in your organization. So anybody who's, who's touching your, you know, client's data, they're now going to have a lot more responsibility and um, to make sure that they are also in the chain of protecting that piece of information. So that's a big change for us. So some people may have thought, you know, oh, it doesn't apply to me because I actually, I outsource all the work and it goes to another company who process it. And while that makes sense to a point, your process is going to have to have a lot of um, processes in place. You're going to have to make sure that you're responsible, you've captured it, you've decided they can process it. But now they're also responsible for making sure that they don't break the chain. And at the end of the day, you're the one who took the information from the client. So the responsibility is still, is still with you as well. So we can't really get away from the fact that making sure that we have strong and robust processes, whether we're accepting information or whether we're processing information, that end-to-end -end process needs to be uh, thought of from a business owner and right, right from the start, really. Hmm. Does that kind of make sense about kind of what, 
we're actually talking about when we think about GDPR. Yes, and it really, it's something that we've been involved in slightly before with the Betfair stuff, but now it's coming, making more of a issue with my property life. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to it, to be honest. Um, but I, I really like the way that you described it with, we used to be like the controllers where we decided the purpose and then now the Implus, implus. That's the wrong word. Now the processor is uh, is going to also be have to comply with the the GDPR rules, and that's going to have a huge impact for me because I do a lot of, as you know, I do a lot of stuff with property and technology. So, and I know that me and you have spoken as well at length about sort of how I can how I can change that. It might be worth just giving a few points as well. Uh, I might be jumping the gun here um, on how people who are using VAs could could make sure that they're covered. Yeah, if you if you don't mind, let me come back to the practical application yeah. of this stuff because this is something I'll just touch on a little bit earlier, if that's okay. But absolutely, and um, we, we we do definitely want to. I do want to talk about um, how people are using VAs because the thing about the property industry is, you know, it's not a very regulated industry as it is, and a lot of people have set up themselves up uh, either as a sole trader or as a limited company, and because they don't have, you know, the fifty million employees and no, they don't get anywhere near the kind of the medium-sized businesses, a lot of this stuff kind of goes over people's heads because they have processes, they have a person, and everything's working really well on an operational basis, mm. but they don't always understand that there's actually now additional layers of compliance and that has to be put in at the start. And I think this is where people start to get a little bit tripped up. So I really want to make sure that we that we capture that. And um, so please if I if I don't get there myself, please bring that back up before we before we finish off is that okay I definitely will be i'll be wanting your expertise on this brilliant um, and just just on the on the expertise thing as well you know the, the, the most important thing i hear is that look i'm I, i'm here to to help support people and raise awareness of this topic and certainly yeah. any questions that anybody has i'm, I'm happy to happy to, to address if they, if they want to message yourself ryan or, or me directly um, yeah. and then if anybody wants to actually bring an expert on you can go to a data data protection spec just to help you with any of the weird and wonderful things that might be going on in, in the businesses. Um, so kind of, I wanted to kind of just go over kind of 10 big changes. So there's, there's two things to say in relation to the GDPR and how everything is going to change. Is, and the first thing is, is that we already have the Data Protection Act um, of 98 in the UK. That is the, the legal legislation that we're already supposed to be compliant with. So the change from the Data Protection Act to the GDPR, it, it, is, it is a big change. It's, it's a big step change. Mm. And for businesses who are already pretty compliant with the data protection rules as they currently are, we'll find that this is work to be done, but it is, it is doable. And then for those who haven't really realized that actually that there was a whole bunch of things that they were supposed to be doing outside what they're doing now, it's going to feel like quite a lot of work. Um, and the major difference between where we are now and where we're going is kind of the areas I wanted to address. Because I'm not sure where everyone's kind of understanding is but it'll come into by the by the time we get to the end I'll hopefully point you in the right direction to start looking at this. So the thing is that the GDPR applies to all companies worldwide. Um, this isn't just a UK thing or a European thing. So it's any business that processes uh, personal data of European citizens um, and British citizens because obviously they're going to adopt and um, the rules. So remember all of this GDPR legislation has all been used in the context of European wide um, European wide legislation. Um, it's also going to now widen the definition of personal data. So we've touched on earlier on what is this actual personal um, data, but it's also including the socioeconomic and cultural info that, that I mentioned before. So up until now, that hasn't actually been been part of the rules. Um, if you could anonymize that data, that, that's absolutely fine, but you can't link who I am to where I live to my socioeconomic information. Um, it's going to tighten the rules for obtaining valid consent to using personal information. Now, this is something that um, I'd love to, to chat about a little bit as well. So what this means is that no longer is it going to be okay for you to take an email address or a contact piece of information for somebody and then communicate with them whenever you want for whatever purpose that you want. You now have to actually obtain valid consent to use this information. So on a lot of websites, you know, everybody from a marketing point of view, you know, you give a gift, you get an email address in return, and everybody pretty much agrees that if you, if I give you my, your email address, you're going to start messaging me content, um, whether it's marketing content, whether it's content I'm really interested in. Now you're going to have to be explicit 
with, with that. You're going to have to say, hello, can I have your email address? I will give you this in exchange. I will keep your email address for these reasons. There'll be terms and conditions, essentially. You've got to, give, you've got to explain to them why you're giving me my email address. And we're going to make an exchange between the two of us, and we're going to agree on how I'm going to use that, that email address. So it's no longer okay to say, I'll give you an email in exchange for a, you know, a, a downloadable ebook. And then I'm going to start mail bombing you every month. I'm going to add you to my mailing list every month. That's no longer going to be okay. So consent about how we um, use people's data is going to be a huge one. And how that's going to change for us is people who have long lists, mailing lists, essentially. Do you have permission to send those people on your list the mailing list that you do? Did you use to send them tips for if it's an interior design, for example, where you're sending them tips on how they could address, address the room, and now you're sending them special offers for a course that you're running, do you have, do you have their permission to now send them content, the, the change in content, if that makes sense? So they, they signed up thinking they were getting top five tips, which is what they got, but then you started sending them special offers. You don't have the permission to send them that. That's going to be a big change for, for businesses to have to start thinking about, particularly when they have investors coming to their way. So I'm a sourcer like myself, if you have an investor joining, you know, wanting to join one of your lists and get to know more about the business, you have to be very clear about how you're going to, what you're going to communicate back with them. And the simple way to get around that is to make sure it's very clear on your front page, on your website. Mm. You click on the terms and conditions to, to agree to give me your email address in exchange for X. And you can still send them, like if you've said to them, we're going to use your email address and we're going to keep it for, you know, we're going to reconsent every 12 months and I'm going to send you whatever the hell I want over the next 12 months. Are you okay with that arrangement? Yes, that's fine. You just have to be explicit and actually obtain this consent and record this consent. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm literally thinking of my internet marketing businesses right now and just crying. <laughs> yeah, it, it is going to change an awful lot in the internet marketing space. And I think, you know, from, from a positive point of view, what that means is it's a great opportunity to reconsent. Hey, yeah. everybody, you know, we're being compliant with GDPR. And we'd love to know if you still are on the journey with us. We want to be sending you this type of content in the next 12 months. Are you okay with it? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Or, and if yeah. you're not okay and you don't want to talk to us again, please click here and we'll take you off our mailing list. So there are ways to positively reinforce this um, and, and to actually obtain this. It just means that in the future, when you're capturing information, you're now going to have to put it on the front page. Um, but for the ones that you've already got, we consent them. Happy days, continue going as you are. So the thing is, these, these changes are going to feel like they're, you know, quite punitive. As in, oh, how am I supposed to do that? How am I going to be able to do my business? But actually, there is a way around it. They're not supposed to be a barrier to, to what we're going to do, which is to make them become business as usual. Um, so with the consent, and, and this is going to kind of be a big theme through the GDPR, and this, which is the rights of the individual, is you have to be able to prove clear and affirmative consent to process that data. So you have to be able to say that, yes, on the 15th of December at this time, you said I could send you this email. And you need to be able to go back and find that. That's the change in how, and from a lead generation point of view, that's going to be the change. Now, the reason that they put that in there is in the case that you are getting spammed every day. Like I've had this before where somehow my phone number got launched into the abyss and somebody just kind of called me five, six, seven times a day, day after day, you've been in an accident or have you got this insurance thing? Just complete another spam. And I was getting charged every time I picked up the phone. Yeah. And it put me into a position where I didn't want to answer my phone anymore. Because I didn't, if I didn't know the number, I was like, I, I can't answer my phone. And then I was missing the phone calls that I wanted to get. And it was just a bloody mess. So if I went back to that company and I said, can you tell me exactly when I gave you consent for you to call me? They clearly can't do that because they obtained it without consent. So it's only to be used when it's needed to be used. You just need to make sure that you're able to track it, which would be them opting in. That's the trigger point. So as long as your CRM system or however you capture that information can show you that, happy days. Hmm. <laughs> I know it, it, does, it does feel laborious, but it, it, it can be done. It can be done. Yeah, um, I'm just thinking how how that will be implemented. Does that have to be implemented? So say we have landing page where you're going to give me your email address. Does it have to be very, very clear on the landing page or do you, can you have a terms and conditions box which they have to tick and then under those terms and conditions you have stated that information? Essentially, yes. Um, you know, you have to be explicit. It has to be incredibly clear. Um, and they also have the right to not opt in for all the other stuff. Oh, man. 
So you can say, yes, I'll give you my ebook, but no, I don't want to hear you have all your marketing stuff. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to change a lot of things. It is going to change a lot of things. But I, what I think the positive part to take in that is actually you'll have people who really are interested actually giving you their information. These are going to yeah. be much more hotter leads than ever before, I think. Yeah, you're going to have more targeted people. Um, yeah. And it is a commitment. So they are more likely to become customers because of that. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, I've got, I don't know how, about your email box, but my personal email is 5,500 unread emails of crap that I've yeah. signed up to over the years that I just haven't properly opted out of or some of them I've opted out of, but I can't remember my username or my password. And it's not very easy yeah. to get in and I can't be bothered to go to the whole opting out thing. So that world isn't going to exist anymore. It's going to have to make it very clear. So the next time you go in, oh, I really like that. Oh, great, you're offering us. Thank you. No, I don't really want to get mail bomb. Just send me that and then I'm happy. And then I'll get back in touch with you when I want to talk to you again. So it's going to change how we do things, but it'll be interesting from a lead generation point of view um, about how, what the impact that will be. And certainly in the, in the internet marketing uh, world, they're, they're, they're obviously taking massive attention um, on, on this. And there'll be some very clever people with some very clever strategies um, helping people remarket now to, to, to these lists. The one thing just to say about this is that if you have an existing mailing list, you will need to reconsent. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you could also offer them a special gift or something. You could also sweeten the deal and, and, and explain to them why it's important that, you know, that, that you maintain and that you, that you are connected with them. But it, it's putting the rights um, back now with, with the individual, um, mm. which is something that we'll, we'll, we'll tap onto in a sec. Um, so for businesses, um, it's making the appointment of a data protection officer um, so somebody who's going to take the responsibility of the company to make sure that the company is compliant with the rules and to make sure that they're actually acting on, on any issues that are happening um, for the core, you know, sorry, they'll be appointed if the core function is data collection, monitoring or processing. So it's not going to have to be a second role. It's not going to have to be, you're not going to have to hire an individual for it, but it's going to have to be something that you're going to think of your business of a certain size or you're processing a lot of information, which in the property world, probably not that many businesses will be, will be needing that, but you have to have somebody in your organization who's a designated data protection officer to start, who's going to be taking responsibility for thinking about how is the organization um, and how, how compliant are they. So my, my recommendation would be to people would be to think about in your business, what does that mean for you? So if you're a one-man person, if you're a one-man or one-woman band, that is going to be you, making sure that your processes are, are in play. Um, it's going to talk about, so in, obviously there can be data breaches. Um, you, I know we've obviously heard um, some ones in the news recently, obviously Uber had a very large breach there recently with 52 million pieces of information um, have been breached and they didn't actually report it to anybody. Um, this was apparently last October and it's only just coming out now. So with the new regulations, um, there's a requirement that organizations notify the ICO, so the Information Commissioner's Office that we're, um, that we're all supposed to be members of, within 72 hours of identifying this data breach. Um, before, it used to be if you had breaches of a certain size and things like that. So the, the rules were different, but now the rules are going to be that you're going to have to notify the ICO of identifying a data breach, which terrifies anybody saying, hey, how do I own up to a big, you know, big yeah. mistake that, that we've made? Um, and obviously, how much is that going to cost me on the back end and how am I going to repair um, things with the, with the individual affected? So with the new rules that we have, A, you have to be able to actually identify. So, if you think about what that means, it means that one, you need to be able to identify a data breach. So what kind of data breaches might there be? So for example, you might have a, a new tenant moving in, um, they've popped into your office, or you've met them at the site, and they've given you all the data, and there's one page missing. Where did it go? What, what piece of paper is it missing? What page did you know? Like, so you need to know what's gone missing. You need to know whose it is that's gone missing. Need to think, how am I going to contact the person to tell them that I've lost a page of the passport? Um, do, do you know what I'm trying to say? So what that actually means is how do I identify a data breach? So your processes need to be robust enough that you know the information that's coming in on the front end that you are able to see when you don't have that information. So that might be a really simple thing. When you're taking your KYC and you're doing your checks at the end, they send you in five pieces of information. There should always be five pieces of information in the chain, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. So the person who's responsible for that account and making sure that that person is qualified enough or you've got a contract or whatever it is that that 
data is attached to, the person looking who's responsible for that as part of their processes will obviously know to double check that all the information is there. And then they just need to say, hey, I'm missing some information here to who your data protection officer will be. And then you a, go look for it. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> hopefully you will find it. Um, but you will need to obviously kind of communicate things like that to the individual affected and, and obviously on for serious breaches you'll need to be to be um, notified. So this feels like it's terrifying. Like it does feel like, you know, I don't want to be, you know, getting involved on, on that level of minutia. But at the end of the day, you have a responsibility to protect the information. So at least knowing when you're missing it. Yeah. Is a good is a good thing to know, right? Yeah. Um so they obviously, they want privacy impact assessments now. So what they want is to, is businesses to start thinking about the risks involved in processing data. So if you've got these, I'm just going to keep referring to KYC, but if you've got contracts, if you've got your employee contracts, when, you know, an employer, if you've got any employees who are uh, in your business, you would have confirmed their right to work in the UK. You will have confirmed their, who, that they are who they say they are. And depending on the business that you have, you may have had to do a criminal check on them as well. So all those pieces of information, that's obviously very important and, and private information. So is there any breaks in the chain where that could be a risk to your business? It's processing information in these volumes. You know, for your business, do you have the steps in place in order to be able to achieve that? Or is the risk too big for you to have that in your organization and you need to make some adjustments? So it wants you to start thinking about the risks involved in your current processes and make sure that you minimize any impact on data sub subjects. So us essentially, um, if these privacy risks um, are high. So it might be that, you know, actually we always bring our clients to a viewing and we do all of our paperwork in the house and then I leave the house with the paperwork and I get into my car. Yeah. That could be a risk right there. Is the car still there? Where are you going to park the car? Did you bring the paperwork into the house or the office? Have you left it in an in a unlocked park? Uh, sorry, in, in, in your car that, that's locked or unlocked? Did the car get broken into? Did you drop a piece on the way out? Did you have a state? Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like not trying to get into too, level, too many levels of minutia. But the point is that there's risks in a lot of processes that, that, that we currently use. So it's making sure that you understand where those risks are and that you've mitigated against them. Um, just a couple of other things that, that, that are kind of some things that we need to think about, which is the introduce the right to be forgotten. So in the rights of the individual um, under, under the GDPR, there's kind of seven steps in there. I won't, I won't touch on all of them now, but one of them is the right to be forgotten. So what that means is essentially is that an organization shouldn't hold data for any longer than is necessary. So how long is necessary? <laughs> Do you have an answer? Yeah, gosh, I'm literally writing all, everything you say down right now. <laughs> so, and, and this is the thing. So the, the GDPR isn't, doesn't have all the answers to all the questions. You need to start thinking about how long should I be holding information for? If you're a doctor and you're, you, know, um, you have a GP practice, it makes sense that you will hold on information for years because obviously my medical history is very important. And if I had an, an issue that I had a that may become apparent when I'm four, we obviously want to be able to go back and see the information. And I want to be able to get that information and bring it with me. So it makes sense in that scenario that we should be holding on to data for years. In the property world, when you start thinking about that again, if you have an SPV, if you're, if you're a developer and you've gone all the way through and you've completed an exchange on a, on a, on a scheme, you've sold off all the, all, the, all the units that you wanted to sell and the SPVs wound up, how much information do you still need to retain? And for how long? Oh. What do you do with it? How do you dispose of it? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying so there's lots of different things yeah. that need to think about now, I, I don't know what is the right answer for you in your business now some people may have relationships with local health authorities who may stipulate in a contract that you must keep all the people you know all the tenants that we send you their information for x number of years and that person whose information that you're processing they should have been told you know, that they, they will have signed up to a contract understanding that you'll be keeping their information for five years for example um, so we start thinking about that. So we don't want to be holding on to information from now until 20 billion, even like yeah. even just now, you know, I, I had an issue where, where I had, um, I've moved away from Dropbox. I've into, I'm fully integrated into the Google system. And I got a, a message from Microsoft telling me that they've frozen my account because I've gone over my, my storage limit in, in my Dropbox. I had like a free thing when I got my phone. Yeah. And in that inbox is photographs from my wedding. Um, which is like when I got married 25, five years ago, um, <laughs> five and a half years ago, I got married. And I realized I, they're actually 
the only photographs I have. That, that's where I put them in that Dropbox five years ago. Now, I've been able, I've managed to get them and it's fine and blah, blah, blah. But my point being is that it's asking the question about, we not, nobody's thinking five years ahead about where my data is going to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But we that's don't have that right question. anymore. Yeah. You know, we have to be starting to think about, will, you know, where am I processing things? Are you the type of person that is in multiple systems? Does everything fuel into the same system? I, I'm, a, I'm a terrible for it. I'll have one system open for this. I'll put stuff on and This is on my own information, by the way. But if yeah. I'm working on things, I have one program I use for this, and I have one program I use for that, and I have one program I use for this. I dump everything in here, yeah. which is fine for me. But on an organizational level, you need to be thinking about, the right to be forgotten so in that five-year term what if I come back and say I want to get out or I signed up to your thing and I want you to stop talking to me but I actually want you to delete my information I don't want you to ever remember that I was on your site yeah so I have the right to ask that uh, now and we need to start being able to make sure that our processes will allow you to go back and find all that information yeah so that that's what's going to be a bit of a challenge in terms of how do we build these processes that allow us to future think um, as well as build new processes that we're not exactly sure how the world's going to change. So that, that, that's going to be a big one is the right to be forgotten um, and the right to not choose, sorry, to not change or use data from the original purpose. So you've been very good, you've reconsented all your people, but you actually didn't consent for the new and latest offer you have this Easter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You can't change the purpose of the, of the information. So when I signed up for the email, for, for the ebook, and now you send me special offer emails. I didn't sign up for that. You can't do that. So, and you have to delete this data at the request of the data subject. Now, obviously, there'll be issues where contracts and stuff like that, and, and there'll be legal precedent to certain issues, which can be addressed at a later date. But the principle there is that you need to be able to go back and find that information. You need to be able to present it to the, to the client, and you need to be able to delete it. So you need to build systems that, that work inside that. But... There are systems that can easily do that for you. So your, your CRM systems and things like that, just make sure you're using them in the same way or that if you change your way of using them, that you know that you've changed. So you know that there's information that's here and you know there's information that is here so that you can join the dots if you have to look back in time. Okay. And um, just touching quickly on the CRM yeah. system, it, yeah. there is obviously going to be CRM systems out there that people use that aren't going to be compliant with these rules. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So one of the big issues, so what I mentioned earlier on was that the information applicable to all, you know, if you're processing any EU citizens' data, the location of where that data can be processed is also on servers that are based on the EU. So you may have a CRM system, it may be an international system, the American system, maybe Middle East, whatever, it may be from wherever. And their servers may or may not be inside the EU. And if they are not inside the EU, then you cannot process European data on that. EU server on that server that's not inside the EU. So what's happening is, is most of these CRM companies are moving their servers or they're get, you know building new server bases in the European Union to make sure that they are able to still process European data within that. So what I would recommend for people to do is to check with their CRM company and ask them explicitly. Just email them and say, where are your servers currently hosting my client's data, and do you intend to have servers in the UK? Sorry, in the EU if if they're not. Um, doing that already. Most of them you'll find are building servers and they will be ready prior to the 25th of May. Yeah. Um, they will be ready for this. They will move their servers along with you. But and this this is where and this is the other thing I have to say about CRM systems is, is that you know they are going to it's going to become a competitive advantage to yeah. have a system that's allowing you to be GDPR GDPR compliant easily. And mm. it's in their interest to be at the front end of that. So particularly if you're using it, you know some of the very big and well known systems. Um, they're really going to be ones that are going to be making sure that you can look back in time. So I created this lead on this day, the leads went closed one on this time, and then they became an account, and then here's all of their email information that we use an application that syncs it all in. And do you know what I'm trying to say? So that they're, they're yeah. going to be building systems to help everybody with this. So just remember, you're not on your own trying to build systems like this. You know, it's, it's not, and it's not saying that everything has to be um, done only one way. People are thinking about how to make this easier for all um, because it is, it, it is a big change. I was definitely thinking yeah. that as you were speaking and you're going, okay, so you need to know some of these points. I was thinking, well, as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur myself, that surely there's going to be one company out there that's going to make it super, super simple for everybody 
um, like a CRM or an email alert that is going to highlight all of these facts for you and help you along with these journeys. And then they're going to clean up. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, we don't want to spend our time focusing on, oh, have I got all the things in place? Have I lost, not lost this? And I've got my anti-money laundering processes and my data protection processes. And I have these processes that are another legal requirement that I have in here. And you get wrapped up in knots. That, that, yeah. that can't be, this legislation won't hold yeah. if that's how things go. So, you know, it, th things will get simpler. Really what people need to think about now is with the things that they're aware of, sorry, with, with the points that I've kind of raised, how do their systems match up about that? Can you look back in time and find that information? Can, do you have a process where the, the actual individual, so me, you've got my information, that I can ask you to restrict some of your processing? Yeah. Um, do you have a lever in place that you can be, to make my data portable? So let's say I go, I want to, I want to doctors as an easier one to, to make sense more. But if I am leaving one doctor and moving to another, I want my notes to be given to me in a format that my new doctor can read or can process or he can add them into their, into their system so that he or she can look at my notes. And I don't want them to have to open up a separate 100 million page PDF to read out the fact that I'm allergic to whatever drug. Yeah. So. You, it's things like that that have to be built inside of our processes. And, and at the moment, there's nothing that, like, you know, there, there isn't, none of our systems right now, today, will give us all of this in a plate. It's being built as we speak. And like you say, a lot of the big players are helping us with that. But we need to think about how would we be able to find all of this information easily um, in our own systems so that we can actually deliver it and meet our obligations. So the right of the individual is quite a, is quite a big one. So it talks about, like, the right of access to their information, the right of erasure, which you've talked about, like I said about portability, can it be moved to a different service provider? Um, how do we fix problems? You know, what if there's an error in it? So how many people have put in their name and missed the letter? And they get all, you know, letters back and they've got half a name and all that kind of stuff. How easy is it for that to be fixed? And a lot of systems will say, oh, you can't edit the name, you have to create a duplicate account and then you have to sync the account, stuff like that. So we need to think about that. They have the right to be informed. So what if your company's closing? Yeah. How do you, how, what do you do with that information? When do you tell them? It's thinking about that. There's the right to be informed if you're now using another, you know, you're, you're now, you want to use your information in a new way. You've got to go back and get their consent. They need to be able to tell you that they don't want you to process all of my information in a certain way. or want to reduce the amount of information that you now have. Um, so if you've gone through the KYC and you actually haven't been in touch with them for a year, no. you know, well, maybe we, maybe I want you to delete all that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you need to be able to go back and do that. And you, they need to also tell you that when they want to stop processing, that you stop. Yeah. Um, and it's that kind of thing. So a couple of things to kind of just to recap, over, because I appreciate I've given quite a lot of detailed, orient, detailed information there. So a lot of the big things I'm saying to, that we, people need to start thinking about is obviously everything, the GDPR applies to all companies that process personal data of any EU and UK citizens. Um, it's widening the scope from before, so what we consider to be personal information is now personal data as well as the, the sensitive data that we talked about, so identifiers plus any socioeconomic info that can identify the person. Um, it's changing the rules about how we get consent um, and how we use people's information, so I give you my personal information, we've agreed that you're going to use it only in this way, and that is how you, that's the only permission you have to, to get that. You have to make it very easy to to, for the for the individual to understand, and the organisation must be able to prove when they got consent um, and what consent they got uh, from the from the individual. It's making organisations think about um, data protection officers, somebody to be um, responsible for helping the business be compliant with the regulations, and it's thinking about um, how do we identify. Uh, data breaches within our organization and the fact that you, by regulation, you are required to notify the ICO within 72 hours of identifying a breach. So they're kind of the core things that we've kind of, we've kind of touched on. Sorry, and then obviously the individual of the, the rights of the individual around the rights to be forgotten and have access to and things like that. So there's quite a lot of nitty gritty things like that to that that is terrifying to people and it's you know it's going to make people kind of be like what the hell am i doing business for what if i i'm i'm a, look there's only three of us in the company the ico is yes. not going to find me everything's going to be fine right why should i change and you know the, my, my, my my only pushback to that is that a if you're processing data uh, personal data the regulations say that you must be compliant yeah um 
you have to be registered with the ICO and as part of the ICO um, registration process, you actually declare that you have got processes in place to manage all of this. So if something goes wrong in your business and you make a mistake and there is a data breach, you, have to, you just have to take care of it. You know, you've got to notify the people involved, you've got to change your processes as, as, as you would do in any other organization. This isn't asking anybody to do anything that they shouldn't, you know, asking people to take a, a massive piece of work to do something that's for a very small uh, risk. This is actually really important. You know, passports go missing every day. They can be used by bad guys. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, our date is important. You know, everyone's got a story about how my phone number was stolen, my bank account. You know, we all remember the princes from Nigeria who were saying, oh, I'll give you 250,000 pounds. I'm coming into the country. They were brilliant. You know, this is all way back in, in, in you know, the, the, late noughties, the late 90s, early 90s. But the point being is that now data is king. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at how social media uses are, how our information is tracked across the internet, and that, that's going to be something that's going to have to change as well as cookies. Yeah. They're no longer going to be able to consent to use a cookie on your website to map out where you go next. You can yeah. say no. So they're gonna, that, that kind of thing is going to have to change. So we're just going to get them back into a world where our privacy rights um, and the right for our information to be protected is becoming king again. Um, and we are just going to have to find a way to make it work. And we're not all going to get it right. Um, and it's going to feel like an awful lot of work. And for those who are already compliant with existing regs, it will be a step change. And for those who aren't compliant with the existing regs and are thinking, what the hell am I going to do? It can be done. And, and what I want to kind of touch on next, if we still have time, Brian, is just kind of the things yeah. that you can start. Okay, perfect. Um, the things you kind of want to think about um, and how the hell, where do you start? Right, I've just given yeah. you all these things that you've got to think about, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, you've what just scared doing? all of them." Yeah, exactly. Totally scared everybody. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, what I suggest people start looking at is the easiest way to start about this is to think about, okay, so you're suitably terrified. You aren't. You probably are not complying with all the things that I've talked about here, and you don't really know where to start. Well, the first thing you need to think about is what data and what personal data do I collect? Yeah. So you have customers that come in do they come in online do they come into your shop door do you meet them on the street do they respond to you from a leaflet do they how, how do they communicate with you how do they give you this information what information do you collect what contracts do you have in place with all of your subcontractors do you have data protection and confidentiality clauses between the two i'll tell you something that actually really made me made me laugh well it didn't actually make me laugh because i was nearly I, I was not happy with this <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I worked for a, um, I worked for for a large company, and they were obviously um, we were processing personal sensitive information, and we had a temp come in, and I said I, I was new to the organization. I said, "Oh, you, you you've obviously signed a confidentiality agreement with the agency, right?" And they were going, "Um," and I was like, "Oh, okay, don't worry, I'll, I'll confirm with the agency." So I went to the agency, and I said, "Can I just make sure we know we're doing their training? Have this person signed up to everything?" And they were like. Yeah, yeah, they signed their onboarding form. So great, but you, you, you have a protection, data protection and confidentiality clause in there as well, right? And they were like, um, I was like, can you just show me what, what that's this person signed? So she sent me over and showed me their, their onboarding document. And nowhere in there did it say that the, that the, the temp had any responsibility to maintain any um, confidentiality or any effort to protect the data that, that they would be using in any role. Oh. And our onboarding, yeah. And then our onboarding forms with the, with the temp, so getting them onto the systems, getting them onto everything, that didn't actually have anywhere where the temporary person would say, I'll keep everything private and confidential. So there's no obligation. And obviously, there's an applied consent in terms of, you know, yep. surely everybody knows to yeah, keep yeah. This, this information uh, private. But there's no compulsion. They haven't yep. signed anything. Um, who processes your information? Do you have any agreements with them to actually say that they won't, that they, you know, that they will follow all of the guidelines, they have processes in place themselves, that they are actually going to keep your information secure? You know, a lot of us go into organizations and we have confidentiality clauses, which mean you can't give particular information about the company for years, hmm. or you can't work for a competitor organization. They're confidentiality clauses, but why don't we have it for the people who, who we know process their information? That is a very Something good question. About. Very, very yeah. much so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's, so it's things like that, you know, and obviously your employee employer contracts, you know, make sure that you've, you've, you've got 
information in there that says that they will obviously make sure that they keep any any information confidential. So the first thing we talked about there is look at what data you collect. Personal, is it sensitive? Is it, is it not? Is it all anonymized? Um, how do you collect that information? Is it on the website? Is it face to face? Is it on paper? How do you get that information? Then start thinking about who has access to this information. So you as a business owner might have, but does all of your 17 account managers need access to that same patch? or not? Who, yeah. who are those people? Should they have access to the information or not? We start thinking about how long should you be keeping information for? Do you have contracts in place that say you must maintain information for X number of years? What is the right number and amount of time for your business? Um, things that you're going to have to start thinking about. You need to think about how, do you, how would you identify and respond to a data breach in, in your business? Do you have any processes in place to go, actually, yes, because every single time the person finds a checklist before I hand over the keys, it says we have all these 17 things in place. So I know I have these 17 things in place because they have been checked before something went through. Things like that. Do you have a way to identify and respond to a breach? What software systems do you use? Are they currently compliant with, with, with the rules of the, of that, that are in place today? And will they be compliant with the rules that are coming through? How and where is your data stored? Do you have it all in the cloud? Is it all on one computer? Is it on a server? Do you have backup tapes? How, how do you, where do those backup tapes go? Are they all on servers that are in the EU? How, what would you do if, you if they all went on fire tomorrow? Um, I know a lot of people will, will feel that this is going a bit dramatic, but these are the questions that you need to start thinking about. So does that, does that make sense? Because you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know where yeah. the gaps are until you know on a giant, you know, big, big whiteboard, yeah. How does the data flow through our business? Where are the gaps? Where can you plug the gaps? Um, and something that you touched on was with VAs, um, Ryan, if I may come back to that. Yes. Um, and this, this talks about your employees as well. If we need to start thinking about do our employees and our VAs, sorry, I'll start, I'll start with the VAs first. So people can have virtual assistants for anybody who doesn't know what that means. So it's like a personal assistant, except they don't work with you. They work with you over or online. Is that the, I've never worked with one before, Ryan. Is that the easiest way to? That's the best way to describe it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people have got virtual assistants that are either UK based, EU based. And a lot of people have VAs who are based in, in non-EU countries. So often people have um, VAs from like the Philippines, from India, mm -hmm. from Malaysia, places like that. Yeah. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, you can still continue to, to use your VA, but you now have new responsibilities. So like we talked about at the start, GDPR says all data has to be processed in the EU servers. So, and your, your VA is sitting in the Philippines, for example, what do you do? So one, they need to, you need to be able to, as, as anybody who has access to this, this applies to everybody, I'm just using it in the example of the VA. You have to be able to see how that person uses your system. So what kind of revision history does your software show you? Can you see that Laura went on to this, this client's file on this date at this time? Um, can you see what changes I made to a document? So I know, Ryan, you work an awful lot on Google Docs. So that's a yeah. really um, strong revision history there. You can see who logged in, who hit what and when. And it will hold that history for you for the length of time that you hold the document. So that, that would give you some um, clarity there on that one. You need to make sure that they've been trained. So what's your mandatory training for anybody who processes your information? Um, now, a lot of people go, come on, Laura, we're a three-man band. You know, we don't have mandatory training packages for all of these things and manual handling and everything, right? And I go, 100% understand that. But anybody who's processing this data has mm. to be trained to understand that they have to follow these processes and procedures. And you as an organization have to hold these training records that can be inspected in, in, in the future. So, and again, for your anti-money laundering regulations, you know, that would satisfy that. So you make sure that they understand that they, you have data protection processes and procedures in place. You can document that your VA has been trained. Your IT systems that they work on all are based on the EU servers with full revision history and you monitor access as in you only have access to the information that you should have. And they're not able to download onto a local computer. Uh, things like that will keep you so things like that will keep you in within sign and don't get me wrong i won't cover every scenario I won't cover everything but starting in those things will, will make sure that you should be um hopefully within inside the, the rules in terms of how you work with the va because it's not saying that you can't work with anybody outside the eu but it's saying the data can't move outside the eu 
Yeah. So how do we get around that? And again, companies that offer VAs, they will also be having to address this with their clients. So they will be helping you understand and help getting your business ready for, um, for, for working with, with people who are over there. Because obviously they don't want their work to dry up. If everybody thinks that they can't work with an out of EU VA, then yeah. you're going to have a whole business that's going to fall apart. And that's not what they want. So they will obviously be helping you and, and make sure that you have some security. And maybe they'll offer their own training. Um, you know, but you'll just need to make sure that that training works for you. But having defined set of processes and procedures will kind of keep you on the right side of that. And that, that, that applies to your employees as well. Um, anybody who's working for you. So if you have them as an employee or you have them as a subcontractor, if you have them as a subcontractor, you may need to make sure that they tell you that they will be compliant <laughs> with, yes. with the rules. They have trained their people on data protection. And then for you, you obviously need to make sure that you train them, keep them um, compliant, help them make sure that they can identify breaches and things like, you know, obviously this is getting into to bigger territory. You know, you can get into audits and things like that. You can say, look, you know, every month we spot check 15 um, you know, new new recent clients to make sure that we have all the, the, the hit points. Yes, that we capture consent. The information we've captured is, you know, uh, uh, is is the right information. It's in the right place. The right people have access to it. It hasn't been tampered with. And do, do you know what I'm saying? You you can build these audits for yourself. But I'm saying things like that. As the bigger as an organization gets, there are things that you can add in. Um, but obviously, for 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 smaller businesses, that will feel like um, a very scary thing that they'd have to implement. But it's also helping you know that you're plugging the gaps. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, as you go along, so I would suggest that you know. Start at the front end. How, what, how does the data flow through my information? Uh, sorry, how does the data flow through my organization? Does everybody have the, you know, do, are all the right people um, uh, actually interacting with my data? And then audit that. Yeah. Give it a, you know, put it in place, see how it's going. And then four weeks later, do an audit, spot check 100, mm. you know, or whatever number is good for your organization. Start thinking about, okay, we seem to have plugged the gaps that we were worried about. Now what? next step okay well where's the next layer you know you can start adding in things about password strengths who changed them when have they changed who has company phone this goes on and on and on and on and on and this is what terrifies people because they see that the job is so big that yeah. they shouldn't even know they're not even going to start yeah. so where i typically <laughs> would, would recommend that people start is is, is to start at the start map yeah. your own information map your own organization and then review and then start, you'll be able to absorb where you're at and then start thinking about the next layer of conversation. I think there's going to be a whole host of businesses set up, consultants set up to come into organizations and do the GDPR processes for them. You know, I think that's going to be absolutely. Massive. I mean, it's, it's happening already. Yeah. Um, it, it's happening already. And, and, and certainly, you know, businesses that know that, that really process big information. So, you know, big companies that are, pro, you know, very, a lot of app based pro, uh, companies who are processing credit card information and things like that. They're probably, they're obviously going to be compliant with today's regs, but they'll yeah. have to make systems and processes checks internally. Whereas for all of us, we're like looking at it going, where the hell do we start in a small business? And I'm not going to put five grand into a specialist coming in and telling me how to do this. Yeah. And, you know, whether that's right for your information or, you know, whether that's right or not, you know, I would suggest that you, you, you seek legal advice or you speak to a data protection specialist. But there's a lot that you can start with doing now. You have, you know, five months. Yeah, don't, don't waste those five months. You know, you've exactly. given some really, really good points on what people can do to get started and where they can go to get further information. So you've got time now to, to get those processes in place. And I think it's going to make businesses better anyway. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, and that's what this is all about. This isn't actually a punitive measure just to like, you know, make it really difficult to do work. This is actually to protect our own information. And think about it for yourself, you know, if this is your family or your partners or your friends' piece of information that, that is just exposed due to willful negligence. Yeah. That's just really great thing, right? But if you know you've done your best as an organization to protect that information and you still have a breach, A, it's really bad luck. Yeah. But it will also show you where the gap is in your business. And, and it means that it will not happen again if you're that kind of person because you'll make sure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. So no organization is going to be perfect. Um, no organization is going to get it 100% right. And the ICO, you know, they've said, look, we're not looking to go and penalize every single business for every data breach that's ever made, ever. That, yeah. that, that's not what they're there to do. They're saying, look, you know, we're taking this appropriately like if a business is working hard to try and be compliant then you know we'll obviously take that into consideration we're not just going to try and um to nail everybody and you know what is the what happens to you if you don't comply well it's up to you know 
20 million pounds or 4% of your global annual turnover, whichever is the biggest number. <laughs> it's a really big number, right? It's a huge number. Yeah. Now, if you, and if you look at what the ICO have done, like they haven't built anywhere near that number in any of their years. You know, they, they really don't put um, punitive fines on businesses unless it's, you know, systematic will for ignorance. So that's not saying they don't be compliant, but you can now be reported to the ICO. Yeah. People are going to be very aware of their rights. You yes. know, and, you're not, and they're gonna and they're gonna tell people, hey, we are totally GDR compliant. Don't work with other people. We know that they're not. Yeah, and then you know, like you don't want to get will report it as well, so it will get out. Exactly, exactly, and you know, and, and that's, nobody wants to be in that. So there's a, there's a reputational risk now for for kind of willful for willfully going. Do you know what? It doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to change anything. And for some businesses, maybe there won't be a lot of change. And brilliant. Like, that's absolutely brilliant. You've obviously got your processes in place and it's really clear. But the whole objective here is to make this business as usual. This is yeah. just what's going to become business as usual. And we won't be having this conversation past, you know, this time next year, you won't be having this conversation. This no. conversation will be well, will be over. And um, new processes will be put in place and the company that you work in will be GDPR compliance and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, taking it all in, in perspective. You have time. You have resources. It's a lot of this that you can do all by yourself. And there's a lot of resources out there. So the ICO, you know, they have a 12-step guide for, you know, to try and frame people, trying to get people thinking about, you know, putting their mind in place to actually think about how they're going to do this next year. you have to download that guide? You can download that guide. Yeah, it's a 12-step guide. Do they give I, you, I can send you on the link. Is it an opt-in? I'm just thinking it would be quite yeah. funny if it, was, if it was an opt-in. Well, that, that rule doesn't come in just yet. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just, or oh, I'd be a bit cheeky there. Uh, no, no, no. You're, it, it's really funny, actually, because this is the thing is that, you know, there's a lot of things to think about. And mm. this is something that I was, I, I referenced with somebody else. You know, I, I, I'm a property sourcer and the compliance to be a compliant property sourcer is a very long journey. It's a lot of processes with the anti-money laundering regulations. Yep. And now you're throwing in GDPR regulations. It's like, oh my gosh, like there's so much things that you have to think about and legislate. And particularly when you're a smaller entity, yep. you don't have any scope of reference. Do you know what I mean? You know, and, yeah. and you're not allowed to legally trade in a lot of cases until you have these things in place. So it, it is overwhelming at the start, but it can be done. And, you know, use the resources available to you. Everybody is talking about ICO. You know what I mean? Everybody is talking about it. And every, the ICO is there, is there to try and help. You know, they, they, the 12 step kind of that they have there kind of talks a lot about what I've kind of talked about today. It'll give you something to reference, but there are toolkits out there. There are talk to your CRM owners, talk to your processes, ask for guidance um, talk to your peers. See, see what people are, are saying about it. This is all new to everybody. Um, so, so you use the resources around you. Yeah. And I will, if you send me that link, I will put that on the podcast page as well for that 12 step guide. So everybody can get that. Yeah. And that will help them out. I think with this, I initially thought, oh my God, this is going to impact me absolutely hugely and going to have a, a detrimental effect on my business. But actually, over the course of, of chatting to you, I actually think that it's going to allow me to better connect with people because mm. when they're opting into my, my information, I'm going to make it really clear to them that this is what they are opting in for and this is the kind of thing that they will be sent. Now, if you're not interested in that, that's fine. Click here and then I'll have a process for that. But if you are interested, then you will be, you'll be giving me consent. And I think that will give me, not so much in the property sort of sphere, but my other businesses will give me those real targeted leads. And I think that's going to make a huge impact because you could, you're just going to get really targeted people. People are going to be actively engaged and people are not going to be on other email lists as well. So when they give you their email address, they actually want to speak to you. And <laughs> one of the other, hopefully anyway, one of the other key points as well that I've picked up is that we're not on our own. You know, there is things out there to help the systems that you are using. They rely on our business, so they're not just going to go. Whoa, we're shutting down. They're going to they're going to look for solutions to to make their systems GDPR compliant. And um, I've also got that Laura knows her stuff as well as yeah. you know, like underlined exclamation marked. I think this 
there's a lot of, a lot gone on in this podcast but i just if you skip back and listen to the steps that that you said i think you you can't go far wrong by following those no i think i think that's fair and what you said about the the systems ryan i think you know the the really interesting part is the more i talk about this the more i hear from people oh i didn't realize my system could already do that yes is you know a lot of the functionality is already there but we're all and it looks like oh i just put in these five things and then when you look at the rest of it it's really difficult and complicated and i don't need that yeah and or they haven't looked at it since they got that system and a lot of the answers are already in there you just ne- don't necessarily know it um, so, so interrogate them ask talk to the developers they're they're desperate to know how to make this thing work better um and, and certainly you know like i said this conversation could go on for 10 years about um, <laughs> how, how to make your business fulfill all of these requirements. But, but, but like you say, you know, look, start from the start and then, and then take the next step. Yeah. And how organized are you? You've already sent me that link. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I just saw it pop up on Slack that you have sent me the link straight away. So there's genuinely no excuse now, is there, for me to get this? And put oh, this on. Not there. really. I know. I won't do as well. I'm very efficient. Not not as efficient as you are, but very efficient. Oh, but we do try. We do try. I think I'm going to be more competitive about my efficiency now with you, just because I know how competitive you are, and I'd quite <laughs> like, I'd quite like to do that. Game on! Game on! Game on! Let's not talk about games. Um, is there any parting? wisdom or thoughts pearls that you would like to leave everybody with before we let you go um, I, I would just say so much i've covered a lot i'm so sorry guys you're hearing my voice um the one thing i would say is that look the thing about data protection is think about it in relation to yourself yeah you know this, if this was your information what would you want to happen and I think when you kind of put it into yourself, because we're all going to be affected from a business who's going to handle our information. So if you think about it from yourself, I think that, that will guide you. Because you'd be like, oh, I really wouldn't leave my password on the table there for someone to grab, would I? No. You just wouldn't. <laughs> so think about it like logically like that. And then just build those processes that, that, that are simple for you and that are achievable. And don't panic about this stuff. Um, just keep a level head, put the steps in place, and, and it will become business as usual. Yeah, I think that's sound advice. And mm-hmm. where can people get hold of you, Laura, if they want to connect with you, if they want to chat with you, whatever? How can they get hold of you? Yeah, you can email me, laura at riverlightdevelopments.com um, or you can catch me um, on, on Twitter at riverlightdev, D-E-V. Um, they're the two places that you can find me these days. Uh, my website will be coming out in, in 2018. But it's not ready yet, so you won't find me there. Uh, just on a quick side note, what do you think mm. about Twitter? I think that it has, it's been the, the sort of forgotten social media, but over the last few months, it's had a bit of a resurgence more with professional people. Oh, that's a really interesting question. I'm not a fan of Twitter in terms of like, I like the sound bite. I like the quick, quick jokes. I like the fact that I can see a nice little reference from someone who's, you know who I follow or someone's pointing me in the right direction so that I like it for that kind of functionality yeah. um, and it's great for jokes like it's absolutely brilliant for jokes you know <laughs> people who go there and put on you know oh I'm tweet what, what, what's that phrase when they put loads of tweets on and they're telling a story oh this woman was on a plane and she did this I'm looking at her right now and oh my god this happened and they're tweet by tweet by tweet and um, that part is brilliant but from a business point of view I think what people are doing is they're 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 figuring out where they're spending the time and where the time is being spent that gives them the most amount of value. And I think where you're getting more and more people are so concerned about content now that your content has got to be good Um, or else people aren't going to want, or they're not going to want to engage anymore. So I think more and more stronger content is starting to come to the surface now and people are kind of validating that they're giving, delivering good content over time. And I think that's what's building those credible kind of, building list now and I think like you say people have forgotten about it for a while because it all got a bit too noisy um, and you know and, and the security on Twitter by the way is, is, is something that please everybody be, be mindful I had I had someone hack my Twitter account about two weeks ago um, and I had to go and change all my systems and passwords obviously after that because somehow they, they broke into my Twitter um, which is obviously something you need to think about for your business um, but out, outside that I think it's great you know I think it is an opportunity for you and if you can kind of find your way through to get rid of the noise Twitter's mm. great. Yeah, I I am I'm a fan of Twitter um, over a, a few of the social medias. 
But um, there's just so many, it doesn't really matter which one you choose. I just thought, I wondered then, you'd use Twitter and I just wondered what your thoughts would be. So just, I will let you go now. Um, I okay. think I'd probably speak for everybody listening, an absolute huge thank you for, for coming on and giving so, you just literally spoke about how people are doing content to such a high level. I think you are incredible with what you've just done i think the content that you've just given over the the course of this podcast is absolutely phenomenal and i'm sure that a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from it and even if they didn't i know that i did i've got a whole desk covered of notes so thank you very much laura that's very kind you're very well well i hope i hope people i hope it helps some people anyway I think it would help a lot of people. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I will be back next week with another podcast. So until then, behave yourselves.